welcome into episode 130 of the Bat Flip Podcast. My name is Damon here with Matt and David. Uh, this week, we're going to bring you an all-star voting update. Uh, we have a new Field of Dreams game that's going to happen. Uh, the Oakland A's have some controversy around them and are playing well. Uh, and then we're going to look at the early manager hot seat predictions and uh, go through those because this is the time, part of the season where we usually see that start happening. But before we get into all of that, David, how are you doing this week? doing all right. It's getting a little bit crazy at work, getting a little bit crazy out of work, and it's a rainy day today, so Cubs aren't playing, I think, probably, and, uh, you know, it's it's been a bit of a wild week overall, but uh, Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I've had a, uh, a good week as well. Um, been, uh, been a little bit, uh, I've been super busy, been chilling a little bit this week, so uh, watching, some, watching some ball, and it's been fun, and um, yeah, everything's been pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, how about you, Damien? I've been uh, been good this week, just kind of hanging out, watching a lot of baseball, and watched uh, quite a few movies this weekend, which was a nice, kind of fun, relaxing thing to do. But, um, you know, there's a lot that we can go ahead and just jump right in here and, and talk about. So, um, you know, we got our first update on the uh, all-star voting, I believe it was yesterday. So as of 6-12, um, you know, looking over the American League voting leaders, at catcher, we got Adley Rutschman. First base, we got Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, second base, Marcus Simeon. Third base, Matt Chapman. Shortstop, Bo Bichette. Uh, the outfield looks like Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Jordan Alvarez, and of course, the DH is Shohei Otani. So what are your guys' thoughts of the American League voting so far? Well, I, I, can, I guess I'll start. Um, everything's fine. Um, I definitely would have Yandy Diaz over Vlad Jr., um, you know, Vlad Jr. has been pretty good, but he hasn't been great this year uh, at the plate. And he's, it, you know, Yandy Diaz has been the best hitter on the best team in baseball all year. So, you know, I really think, and of course, the fact that he's on the Rays and Vlad Jr. is in a pretty, pretty sizable fan base and, with the Blue Jays it probably plays into that. But um, that's uh, that's one that I would probably, you know, I don't love that. And then. Uh, everything else I think is pretty good. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the outfield, I mean, Mike Trout hasn't played at the same level as some of these guys that he's ahead of, but I mean, he's Mike Trout. So you kind of give him a pass that he should be there, I guess. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, maybe Randy Rosarena or, or somebody, you know, Masataki Yoshida, even like, you know, Trout's had a little bit of a rough – I mean, not a rough start. He's been good. He's been really good, but not the same guy as he has been. And It's also kind of a bummer that Jordan Alvarez is there as an outfielder, which he really is more of a DH. But I guess it kind of keeps him from having to fight Shohei. So uh, that's um, – but yeah, I, I definitely think that the first base thing, I would – you know, that's the one place I think Yandy Diaz probably deserves the, that one right now. Yeah, my, my one – my one consternation here is that Wander Franco's not yeah. at least close to Boba Shed in voting. You know, I I realize the Rays have a smaller fan base, but man, they you know Randy's got five thousand five hundred thousand votes. Uh, uh, Yandy Diaz has like five hundred thousand votes. Wander Franco has two hundred and twenty five thousand votes. Yeah. Man, what, what, what's going on there? You know, like I understand Bo Bo's been almost as good he's been a little better offensively than wander and wander's been a little better defensively but like you know he, that just needs to be a closer gap in my mind and then 
you know, I, I think Josh Jung versus Matt Chapman's going to be maybe the most exciting race to watch um, going forward because they're within like a, a couple thousand of each other. And those are a couple of fan bases that are really energized by their team right now. So, um, you know, Ch- Chapman versus Jung should be a good one. And Jung's been really good so far. So him earning an all-star nod in his first full season would be kind of impressive. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and look at the National League side where a catcher, uh, Sean Murphy, leads the voting at first base. Freddie Freeman leads uh, second base, Luis Arias, third base, Nolan Arenado, shortstop, Orlando Arcia. Uh, the outfield is Ronald Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, and Lourdes Gurriel. And then DH is J.D. Martinez. So, David, uh, you start on this one. What are your thoughts of the National League voting so far? Well, I, th- I think the obvious one is that Arcia shouldn't be the the shortstop representative for the NL. I, I think that one's pretty clear now, whether your pick is a Lindor, a Bogarts, a Swanson, uh, that's fine. You know, take your pick among those guys. But I think all four, all three of those guys deserve the nod before Arcia. Uh, but the Braves are a really good fan base and I expect nothing less than them to get, to get their guy in there. I will say, I think we've got the wrong Diamondbacks outfielder currently. Lourdes Gurriel has been really good so far, but Corbin Carroll should probably be an all-star starter. Um, so, you know, based on the season he's having right now, he's, he's really taken major league baseball by storm at this point. It's a little bit of a shame that he doesn't have more votes given that his teammate has a spot as a starter right now. So uh, I'll look to see whether Corbin Carroll can make up some of that ground. And then, uh, maybe one of these shortstops can overtake Orlando Arcia for, for NL starter. Yeah, I t- totally disagree with the Arcia thing. <laughs> other than, I mean, there's an argument to be made for Dansby, uh, but and Bogarts, but Francisco Lindor's got less WAR than Arcia, and Arcia's played missed like 20 games. So, I mean, it, I mean, Arcia's got like a 130 WRC plus. So, I mean, Arcia has been legitimately when he's played. Now he he did miss the you know few weeks with the broken wrist, but he's been an All Star caliber like I forget his history as a player like for so far this year he's been when he's played the you know arguably the best shortstop I mean so I definitely think that like I, I don't know if I would vote for him just because he missed a lot of games but he's definitely been he's definitely been better than Lindor I mean I think Bogarts with the improvements he's made defensively you know he you could you could definitely vote him and then Dan's because he's such a great defensive player and he's been good with the bat as well. Has a high on base percentage this year. I think those two guys you could you could argue, but um, yeah, it's definitely been fun to watch Arcia do as well as he has. Uh, but the in in the outfield, I totally agree. I, I don't understand why, unless Corbin Carroll's a write-in or something for people. Like I don't understand why Corbin Carroll's not a top three vote getter for outfielders. Like it shouldn't even be close. I mean, the outfield in the National League is pretty clear to me. Uh, on who the three should be. So I don't know why Corbin Carroll's not in there right now, but I'm sure he'll probably continue to rise up for sure. The the one note on the outfield there too, is that Juan Soto is ahead yeah. of Corbin Carroll at this point. So he's got two hurdles to clear being his teammate Gurriel and then Juan Soto. I don't think the path to starting is very clear for Corbin Carroll at this point. Yeah. I I got the easy path. Uh, we can just move Mookie Betts to shortstop since he's already starting there. There you uh, go. Fairly regularly anyway. So just do that. And then you get Corbin Carroll's jump Guriel and then Soto gets into in the outfield and solves the whole shortstop debate. And we get all the outfielders in there. <laughs> easy, simple solution, right? 
Um, so that's the, the first voting update here in either the ne next week or the week after we'll fill out our full ballot and kind of go through these individually even more. Um, but that's update number one, at least, and we'll kind of update it kind of weekly if there's any big changes. Um, but let's go ahead and jump over to the next item we had, which was just announced today. And it's that there's going to be a new field of dreams game, uh, start in 2024, not at the Field of Dreams ballpark that we all know from the game, but at Rick Wood Field in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's going to be the San Francisco Giants against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I haven't been able to find what dates. I don't know if they announced yeah. that yet or not. But uh, nonetheless, we have a one resident Alabamian in here. So, David, why don't you go ahead and tell us about it? <laughs> uh, I'm just um, Matt, uh, Matt, tell us more about Rick Wood Field. I know you know yeah. more about it. Yeah, so I've been to Rickwood Field a few times. Uh, it's in Birmingham. I live about 20 minutes from there. And uh, I think this will be the first major league game ever played in Alabama, which is kind of cool. Um, and Or the first you know major league MLB game, you know, that with the Negro Leagues being considered a major league now. Um, but it was a um, – it was a – Rickwood Field's a historic ballpark. It's actually the oldest professional ballpark in the country. Uh, it was built in 1910. And uh, it hosted the Birmingham Black Barons, who were a part of the Negro Leagues. And then after the, you know, the Negro Leagues went away, it was the Birmingham Barons, the minor league team, the double-A team, up until like the late 80s. And then they moved to the suburbs, which like a mile from my house now is where they moved to. But um, they, uh, you know, they played at uh, Rickwood Field for a long time. And then every year they go back there and play a Rickwood Classic. It's what they call it game, and usually in June, where they go and they use the throwback uniforms, and you know they have a day game, and it's a lot of fun. They they always have a good you know a good historical slant to the game. Uh, it's been a lot of fun too. With the players are able to uh, you know they they have like a you can go down on the field and and you know they're used to be able to go down on the field after the game and stuff, which is really fun. But um, but yeah, I, I'm super excited for this. I. You know, I, I would love to be able to go to it. I, I'm assuming the tickets are going to be really hard to come by for it, but um, but I'm uh, super excited for this. I, I saw that announced today, and I was like, that, and that's really cool that they're going to get to play. They're going to play a game at Rickwood Field. Yeah, cool to to tie the Negro Leagues into what is essentially a, a kind of a movie concept with the Field of of Dreams movie tied in with the game there. So. You know, I like this. I think it's a good move for Major League Baseball to get a little bit closer to the roots of, of baseball and, and the roots in the South that, that we have, even though there isn't currently a Major League team in Alabama. This is a good way to grab you know Alabama fans who might not be able to get to so many games. And uh, yeah, I, I like this. This is a good this is a good move. Yeah, I just like the idea of expanding the Field of Dreams game into a, a thing where we could take it to these, you know, other historic ballparks or other, mm -hmm. you know, places that we wouldn't normally have a game. Um, I think that's a really cool, you know, concept that hopefully they keep expanding this. I know we have the, we're starting to get more abroad games, but um, to be able to have one-off games or even maybe one-off series at, at these certain kind of historic ballparks or, or ballparks that have a lot of um, meaning and story to tell behind them. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see that game and hopefully it's, you know, as good as the field of dreams games have been, because those are both pretty fun games to watch. Um, but speaking of a team that could use a ballpark and being fun to watch the Oakland A's uh, have a six game win streak right now. And we shit on them a lot, but 
they've actually been playing good baseball and actually their fans have um, brought a reverse boycott to happen actually tonight as we're recording uh, the podcast to fill the stadium at Oakland Coliseum as they're playing the Tampa Bay Rays and chant sell the team and they have a bunch of t-shirts and kind of other little things that they're going to do and to try and make it seem like the fans are not the issue uh, of the whole stadium debate that's been going on there. But uh, anyways, what are your guys' thoughts on the reverse boycott that they're doing tonight? I have a somewhat um, breaking news note that the A's just put out that they're donating all the ticket revenue to local community organizations in Oakland for tonight, uh, oh, going cool. ahead and giving that back to the community. So a good move here. Um, and I really like what, what is going on right now in Oakland because it stinks, man. It, the, the, the threat of relocation is always brutal and, you know, it's pretty clear what the problem is. I mean, Oakland sells that place out, which is a kind of awful stadium and they, they sell it out. They can pack it out if the team is good. And, you know, as recently as 2020, it was a playoff team with, you know, elite players and now it's, you know, kind of a dumpster fire, but they are playing well. And, and, and the fans are trying to get excited about a team that's 18 and 50 and they're packing out a ballpark that probably doesn't deserve to be packed out right now and helping out, you know, Luckily, the owner is giving it back to the community, I guess. But, the, you know, they're, they're trying to show that it's not the fan base in Oakland. And I think that's a, a really, you know, it's the best thing the fans can do right now. I have a counterpoint to that part. Of yeah, it. me too. Um, well, my, my point, you know, Oakland fans, uh, and, you know, I don't want to hate on them, but, I mean, they've been like bottom three in the in baseball and attendance for a long time. I mean, not the, just these last few years, which is understandable, but like in, you know, they won 97 games in 2019. They were 10th out of 15 in the American League in attendance. And in 2021, they won 86 games. They were 15th out of 15. They averaged under 10,000 people per game. I know the stadium sucks, but, you know, you would think a winning team would at least, you know, even with a crappy stadium would at least be somewhat decent on that, on that number. And even like in the late nineties when they were, you know, they were still really good and stuff. I mean, it was I mean, the 2000, the Moneyball A's, you know, they were eight out of 14 in the American league in attendance. So, I mean, I, I don't think that the A's, you know, fan base has fully, I mean, it, it's the, the market. And I'm not saying the fans are bad. I'm just saying the market just doesn't quite support, especially nowadays, a lot of people moving out of Oakland, like, I don't know if the market supports a high-profile major league team anymore, but I think that you know it sucks, and the way that this has been done is a is horrible with from the A's. I mean, it seems like they've been intentionally losing to try to you know I don't I don't even know. I mean, they've been it's this has been bad. So um, you know, I, I, and the reverse boycott. I mean, it's kind of pointless it's not really going to do anything i mean the a's are going to move it's one game you know i don't think that um i don't think it's going to do anything you know i did think it's kind of funny to sell the team chance i noticed them when when the braves were playing there last week i was watching the games and it was just the constantly like in the middle of a random part of the game too, like not even, you know, there's randomly sell the team just starts like on a two, two count or something. It's like, you could hear it all loud on TV and from the few people who were actually there, but uh, definitely, um, you know, I hate it for Oakland fans and, you know, I do know they have great fans and it kind of sucks for them, but 
you know, it is part of it. I mean, we've seen this so many times from different teams that move out of places. So you kind of hit on it, but I, I went looking into it because I, I won once they said this whole the fans aren't the problem type deal. Um, it kind of piqued my interest. So they have an average, so their their capacity for a baseball game in Oakland Coliseum is sixty three thousand. All right. They haven't averaged more than 30,000 fans since 1992. In You mentioned the 2001 and 2002 seasons where they were 102, 103 games each of those seasons. They averaged 26,000 fans. Uh, the two years of 2018 and 2019, they both won 97 games both of those seasons. They, were, they averaged 19,000 in 2018 and 20,000 in 2019. Now, 2021, I'll give them a break. It was that area was still very close to post pandemic that they were still very restricted on that. But those are very successful teams, 102, 103 wins, 97 wins, both of those seasons. They weren't even getting to half capacity of their ballpark. So obviously they are a issue there. Not saying they're the issue, like the sole issue, but they are obviously some issue there. Um, and if you're not coming out and supporting, why was why would the owner want to dump a bunch of money into a team that is not going to be able to gain money back or, or have a they'll gain money through the revenue sharing portion of it. But you want the team to be more successful than and spend more money than show up more. You want to have a new ballpark and you want the team to stay, well then I mean obviously it's not the fans that can do that through the publicly funded money thing, but they can't get a bill to pass there for a new stadium. It's not their fault at the end of the day that they're having to move or even trying to move because Oakland government isn't going to accept them to help them build a stadium there. Yeah. And the fans aren't even packing the stadium that they do have. Like it makes no sense there. And and I'm going to be very, very interested to see what this reverse boycott like number is, because if it comes out, they make this whole big old deal and it comes out, they average like 15,000 or 20,000 still like, that's going to be okay. That, that shows you are the issue. <laughs> like it's very, very scratch my head on that part. Yeah. But, um, speaking of their stadium deal though, uh, it did pass the Nevada state or the Nevada Senate vote today, 12 to seven. Um, it's on to the 42 person state assembly board. Um, if that passes, then it's onto the governor who is rest assured going to sign off on it. And then it hits Rob Manfred's desk for final approval, which he's pretty much already said that he would give final approval anyways. So uh, really just waiting on that Senate assembly vote, whenever that is to see if it's going to pass. Yeah. One thing I'll, I'll add on the, on the Las Vegas thing. I think that it'll make things marginally better for the A's, but I don't really think Las Vegas is going to support. I think it's going to end up similar to Miami. With, with the way it goes there. it's There's a lot of people there who are – there's a lot of people that live in Las Vegas now, but it's a lot of a tourist uh, a, a tourist city, and there's a lot of people there who you know don't fully embrace the fans and if or embrace baseball and everything. And if you're – if you go in there, you better – like the Fisher and the A's ownership, they better be ready to spend money and put a competitive product on the field there because if you don't and you're, you end up with a situation like Miami where you're just – Nobody cares because they just they got so turned off by ownership immediately that it's going to be worse than they get in Oakland right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to have to be successful, but yeah. 
Um, another short little note is that the Texas Rangers called up their number two prospect, uh, Owen White, uh, per fan graphs. He was the 30th ranked prospect in baseball. Uh, he's going to get called up to be a part of that pitching staff, not directly into the rotation yet, but you would assume that shortly he would be in there to kind of help fill the gap that was created with Jacob DeGrom being out from uh, the year. Yeah. Owen White's a good pitcher, uh, prospect. He, I think, his numbers in AAA are okay this year so far. Um, you know, he's got a pretty good ERA, but the peripherals don't really match. I double A, excuse me. Um, and he's kind of a weird guy to bring out of the bullpen because his repertoire is like four pitches with good command. And it's kind of weird to bring that guy out of the bullpen um, more so than, you know, it seems like he's probably more better utilized as a guy who can go deeper. But uh, I mean, you know, it's the Rangers are doing something that a lot of teams have done in the last couple of years where they're bringing up a, you know, a, a high caliber starting pitching prospect and putting them in the bullpen, see what they can do early on, you know, help the team. And if they succeed there, then maybe throw them in the rotation and, and get them started there, especially with the Grom being out, they could maybe have a high upside type guy who could, you know, slide into that rotation eventually. Yeah. I think this is going to start, uh, maybe more of a wave, but at the very least, I think we're going to see a trend of transactions where, you know, teams are taking young pitchers and either bringing them up to AAA really early or pulling them all the way to the majors to just start out of the bullpen um, in low leverage situations to get them development. You know, with minor league baseball kind of messing with the, the tacky ball and, you know, some of the results being very unreliable. Uh, teams are being really hyper aggressive with promotions right now, especially with, when it comes to pitching. Uh, and it's hard to trust some of the results in double A, especially when it comes to pitchers. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of early, pr- you know, promotions to triple A and guys, they're running out of spots in triple A. So the logical next step is to start bringing guys to the major league bullpen. And even if they're not necessarily ready, a guy like Owen White can have some success, you know, throwing four or five innings at a time in games where there may be like a bullpen game or, uh, you know, if the, the team is losing early on, he can just go out there and try to keep him in the game. I, I think it's a good move from that aspect. It's going to get him a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, maybe when someone, if and when someone gets hurt in the rotation, he can step in and, and make some spot starts and uh, be an impact player for a team that's hunting a, an AL West division crown here. Absolutely. We've seen those kind of pitchers kind of just get called up, you know, recently and, and we'll continue to see that um, and see if he's can able to continue the trend of them being, you know, impact players right away. Um, but one thing we wanted to jump over to is uh, looking at the possibility of hot seat managers and kind of give our argument if yes or no. Um, we always kind of start seeing it around that mid-June teams have kind of solidified, you know, the bad starts of the year. Um, aren't fluky and uh, we usually see one or two managers kind of get canned early seeing if they could flip it you know flip it around before the trade deadline so um, just kind of looking at teams that I either thought were underperforming or um, you know have bad uh, obviously bad um, storylines and stuff around them so the first one is uh, Alex Cora he's with the Red Sox it's his third year obviously after the suspension um, but he's 203 and 188 in his in the three years there. Uh, last three years, he's had 92 and 70 record, a 78 and 84 record, and then a 33 and 34 record. Um, do you guys think that Alex Cora should be on the hot seat? 
Um, I guess I can start. Uh, I should he probably not. Uh, you know, one caveat to put it in here is that in some situations, you know, you're going to have hot seat general managers as well, and I think Heimbloom might be one of those types of guys. So, does he scapegoat Alex Cora to try to save his job? I, I kind of doubt it. You know, Alex Cora has won a World Series there. Obviously, had the suspension for for what happened when he was with the Astros, but you know, he came back and you know had a really really good season. Their first his first year back there, and unexpectedly, with a pretty okay roster, took him to the ALCS. Then, I mean. You know, their roster is probably about a 500 roster, and that's what they've kind of been since then. It's kind of a 500-ish team. So, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot of – I don't. I wouldn't fire him. I don't think he's the problem. I think a lot of it has to do with the team he's put out that, that has been given to him, you know, especially with the pitching staff. There's really no winning with that pitching staff. But, I mean, I, you know, he might be. I, I don't know. I, I kind of doubt it, though, with his history there. I, You know, I like – I think I – I think the reason the Red Sox are even at a 500 point or part of the reason, right. Is that Alex Cora has been willing to deploy yeah. man, you know, Masataki Yoshida high up in the batting order the whole season. Right. You know, he's, he's been very consistent with the placement of those guys. You know, he's not got the superstar season from Rafael Devers that they were kind of expecting when they signed him to a $300 million extension. Um, you know, They've lost Mookie Betts, right? He the, under his watch, you know. They've lost uh, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez. A lot of this team has been stripped away, and Alex Cora has been able to keep it at 500 in the most competitive division in baseball. I, I do think that's commendable. I'm guessing Red Sox fans don't necessarily agree, but I wouldn't put him on the hot seat at this point. You know, it's still too early. This roster's not built to win this division, right? This is a hyper competitive division. And the AL wild card is going to be a hyper, the most, it, it's going to be the more competitive of the two wild cards. It, it, it won't, it won't shock me if the Red Sox are out of it. We talked about them as potential sellers, you know, last week, but I'm not putting that on Alex Cora. And I think that outside circumstances are dictating that, you know, if, if the Red Sox are running into a situation where their bullpen is kind of clearly fumbling, which they've had a lot of injuries and, you know, they're very, that's a very old bullpen where guys can kind of go out the window pretty fast. You know, I just, I can't put that on Alex Cora for the entire bullpen being 30 plus. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm definitely not going with him on the hot seat. That's for sure. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump over to the next one, which is AJ Hinch and the Tigers. It's his second year there. Uh, he has a total of 170 and a 218 record. Um, or actually, it'd be his third year there. Sorry, messed up on that one. Uh, but he's 77 and 85, 66 and 96, and then 27 and 37 to start the year off. Uh, they, I believe they have the new management or the new general manager yep. was this last year, so he didn't really hire AJ Hinch. But um, with what he's been given in Detroit, uh, I guess David, go ahead and start on this one. Um, I think AJ Hinch should or would be on the hot seat. Yeah, I, I think this is maybe one of the we're going to go through a bunch of them. And I, I think this is one of the yeses. Uh, AJ's probably the first lever for the, the new general manager to pull. Um, he wasn't good last year, right? The, the Tigers coaching staff in general last year was almost all canned with the exception of AJ Hinch. And this year they've been better, but they haven't been good uh, in terms of on-field results. You know, 
I don't know that a lot of this is AJ Hinch's fault, but he's definitely going to be the scapegoat for these problems. I'm going with he's on the hot seat. Um, and if Detroit falls out of the race and starts, you know, losing it by August or September, he's gone either then or in the off season this year. I think there's, they got to just, they got to be in the division race and be buying at the deadline in order for this to, to turn around. And they are in the worst division in baseball. I think they can get there, but uh, you know, he's going to be managing for his job here, I think over the summer. Yeah. I, this one's a tough one because I'm one, you know, like you said, the general manager changed last year, you know, the current general manager and front office did not hire AJ Hinch, but in some ways it feels like, you know, you're not, who are you going to get that's more accomplished than AJ Hinch? Like he recently has won a world series with the Astros and I mean, they were great. And then just year before last, everyone was talking about how great of a job AJ Hinch did to get a Tigers roster that quite frankly should have lost 105 games or more to a 77 and 85 record. And they kind of regressed back to what they should have been last year. And this year they're kind of, I think they're a little ahead of what they should be, honestly. I mean, that team is just bad. They have no talent on that team. Like, I mean, you look at their best players are, you know, Riley Green, who's been injured several times, and Zach McKinstry, like, is their best position player outside of Riley Green, who's injured. So, I mean, it, it's it's not, you know, the roster's bad. I don't think I would move on from him yet just because he hasn't really been given a chance there. But, you know, the front office change, I could definitely see him being on the hot seat. And I do think that if he got fired, I do think he finds another job because I think that with his history, he would definitely get another opportunity somewhere. One caveat to that in that he didn't have a chance is that last year after the offseason with Baez for Rodriguez, the Tigers spent a bunch of money and called up some really, you know, hot young prospects, top five prospects. It didn't perform. And he went, what, 66 and 96 is what we have. That's, that's not all on the manager, but a lot of that's on the manager. The manager's going to take some responsibility there. And, you know, if they don't find a way to get back in it this year, you know, I think that's where it's, it's time. But yeah, I, I'm with you that it's not all AJ Hinch's fault. Some of that is roster construction. And then you're going to hear that from us a lot as we go through these guys. But I, I think Hinch is definitely one to get canned here due to performance. Yeah. And like Matt said, I think even if he did, I think it would be more of those like, hey, let's both move on. Just kind of get a fresh start mm-hmm. for everybody. And then Hinch absolutely, I think, would get another manager job somewhere else that he could actually go and, and maybe compete in that. But um, staying in the AL Central and with the Kansas City Royals, Matt Cotaro, um, it's his first year there. I don't really usually like to talk about first-year managers getting canned, especially in bad situations here. But the Royals are tied with the Oakland A's for wins at 18. <laughs> yeah. The A's have a worse record because they've had two more games and they lost both of those. But we're talking about a guy who they brought him in to kind of help, you know, that young talent kind of take that next step forward. And I understand it's his first year, but we haven't seen much of the, uh, you know, the production jump or the the improvement of that young talent yet. So uh, what do you guys think about Matt Kotaro? Uh, he should be on the hot seat. Um, so... I don't really know anything about him because quite frankly, I've watched the Royals like three times when the Braves played them 
and the Royals are just you know that franchise they they just have no talent. I mean, I know they brought up Vinny Pasquantino the last year and he was pretty good and starting off this year is you know, he did okay and but now he's obviously got a pretty what sounds like a pretty significant injury and you know, Bobby Witt has been okay, but he hasn't quite been a you know, all-star caliber player immediately. I mean, I think he'll end up being a good player. I don't know if he's got the same kind of upside people were talking about when he was first getting called up. But, I mean, it, I think that it's tough because, uh, you know, like it's his first year and the roster's really bad. But, man, I, I don't, you know, if you look at the Royals, like they their roster is better than the A's. I mean, and there's, there's just something about that, that team just seems to be really – just lifeless. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this one get moved on after one year. And I mean, the one thing I will say that might go in his favor is they have a new front office. So, you know, it, it which selected him and they might want to stick it out for the rebuild. And, but I mean, I don't think he's especially done a very good job. And I, I just don't, I don't know if the Royals think they're going to get anybody better or, you know, they, they might trust him, but that team seems lifeless. So I, I don't know if I wouldn't move on from him. Yeah. The, the question here is, is this the manager's fault, right? How much of this can be pinned on the manager? You know, the, the Royals are in a very awkward spot with everybody on the team underperforming. You know, the pitching hasn't been good. The, the hitting hasn't been good. The, just everything about the team has just underperformed compared to what we thought. I mean, we were picking the Royals for third in the division. We were thinking maybe an outside wild card run. And, you know, here they are worst team in baseball right now, which we didn't think was even possible given the A's bad start. You know, I, I do think that he'll stick around. Um, and I do think he won't be on the hot seat at this point. But this is the kind of start to get a first-year manager fired. Um, this is about the only way to do it, in my mind. And, you know, with Bobby Witt, with, you know, Vinny Pex, Pasquantino, with Brady Singer, there's a lot less excuses than there are for maybe the I – think, I think the next guy we're going to talk about no, – two, two from now. But, you know, versus Mark Kotze for the A's, right? He's got a lot fewer excuses than Kotze does. So I – I am very skeptical that they will fire him, but man, oh man, it would not shock me that that's the first lever that this Kansas City front office pulls to try to get some better performance out of some of these guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one to watch in Kansas City if this uh, type of play keeps up. But uh, let's move over to the uh, American League West. And the first one is going to be a little bit of a surprise probably, but it's Scott Service of the Seattle Mariners. Um, his eighth season with Seattle so far, he's been, has a 560 and 537 record, um, you know, in 2021, 2022, both 90 and 72 seasons, uh, this year's 32 and 33, they're fourth in that division, nine games back. Um, it just, maybe if it's going to be the teams were, or this team was supposed to be picked as a potential world series contender. Um, they've really fell, fallen behind in this division now. And I think it could be a situation where like they look at maybe underperforming, but he's got a strong background. I don't know if I would quite fire him, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I don't have him on the hot seat at all here. Um, Not necessarily as this is a bad one to think about, but 
Scott Service is, was the first manager to manage the Mariners into the playoffs since 2001 with, I think, Lou Pinella. So uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this this team is, you know, going to be with Scott Service for a while. He's been very good in the past, right? He's gotten more out of this team than uh, than it's, you know, some of its parts until this season, right? And then this season it had maybe a little more talent. They haven't gotten quite as much out of it. I think it'll it'll balance itself out, and it's definitely too early to really be concerned, but they're hovering around 500 right now and in a division that's difficult, and with the AL being up this year, it, it's going to be difficult for the Mariners to get into the playoffs at this point, but with that pitching staff and with Julio Rodriguez, you know, that this is a team with a big, a really bright future and service has, has been with these guys the whole time. I have a very difficult time believing that this is even a consideration at this point, but it's, it's worth noting that the Mariners did have some expectations going into this year and they are not meeting them at this moment, but I wouldn't put that on Scott service just yet. Yeah, I'm with you, David. I, I, I disagree that he's on the hot seat. I think that, uh, I think that he's safe there. I, I know they're underperforming what people expected of them this year, but to be honest, if you look at their roster, I think it's more of the fact that they overperformed the last two years than that they're really underperforming this year. They're, I think they're underperforming by a couple games, but I mean, if you look at them, like their pitching staff's really, really good, but they do have injuries in the pitching staff too. You got to remember that. Um, and, but I mean, their offense has been the problem. And I mean, it, you just kind of look at their offenses. I mean, you get, you, you know, some of the moves they made in the offseason haven't been very good. You know, Colton Wong hasn't been good. Teoscar Hernandez hasn't been very good. Like, you know, Julio Rodriguez, he's been fine, but he hasn't done what he – he hadn't been the MVP candidate type Julio Rodriguez that we saw last year. You know, he hasn't taken off. And, you know, Eugenio Suarez kind of has come back down to earth a little bit. Like, they have some good players, but, I mean, the offense just doesn't have a ton of depth. And I know Kellenek's been a lot better this year, but – you know, it just, it, I don't really think you can pin that on Scott Service. I think he just, the fact that he got so much out of his players the last two years to where this year he's probably getting what they're capable of offensively out of them, then, you know, I think they'll be a little bit better than they have been because I think Julio Rodriguez will figure it out at some point. But, I, you know, I, I don't really think he should be on the hot seat at all. I think he's definitely a really good manager. He's done a great job there. And, um, you know, I think that they I think they'll definitely ride through the rest of this year. And then, you know, maybe next year if they're, you know, below 500 at this point again and, you know, they don't turn it around this year and, and they're still in the same spot next year at this point. Like maybe you start seeing them on the hot seat. But I think it's a little early for that right now. Yeah, so let's go ahead and stay in that division. And David mentioned him. It's Mark Kotze of the Oakland A's. It's his second year there. Uh, has a 78 and 152 record. Uh, last year went 60 and 102. This year, 18 and 50. Uh, obviously, not his fault with especially the roster that he's been dealt with there, but um, seems like it would also be another kind of a scapegoat there uh, in, in Mark Kotze. Yeah, the thing about Mark Kotze is that there are a few things that I think that he maybe could have handled better this year so far. Like, you know, especially with some of the young pieces they have, like, you know, I mean, for example, like the Shintaro Fujinami, he hasn't been good, but there's no reason he should have ever been starting. Like he should have 100% been thrown into the bullpen to start with, but they started him off as a, they bounced him back and forth a lot. Like, 
you know, that kind of thing. And then, I mean, I don't know. He didn't have a huge background before he got hired by the A's. And I, it just feels like – it felt like when he was hired, he was just hired to be a placeholder until they kind of get to whatever point that they want to start competing again, which is unclear what that is. But, I mean, I I mean, I, I don't think they'll f- – I it's hard to say. I don't, I don't really think they're going to fire him just because, like, why would you fire him, hire somebody else that's going to get fired next year? Like, I, you know, I think they'll probably just roll with him. And, you know, I obviously the team's kind of still fighting for him because, you know, at a they had like a, what, a 13 and 50 record and then they've won five games in a row or something. So, I, I, you know, I don't think he's totally lost the clubhouse or anything. I, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think they probably hold on to him, but. I mean, I, I'm kind of indifferent on whether they should or not. I mean, I don't really think there's much to it. So, here's, here's my my thoughts on on Mark Kotze is that I feel that the Oakland team has gotten more positives than negatives out of a roster that there should not have been any positives. Um, he's gotten legitimate star level performances from Ryan Noda and Brent Rooker thus far this season. Uh, he's gotten, you know some serious development taking place when it comes to the pitching staff. But the fact that, you know, he's been able to get this team some wins with a roster that was very clearly designed to be gutted uh, and was able to win some games last year. I mean, this was, you know, this is a team that won 60 games last year. It wasn't like it was, you know, a historically awful team last season with Sean Murphy on it. And you know, everybody thought, oh, this team's just going to go horrible. Well, they're, they might not even be the worst team in baseball right now. You know, I think the expectations are extremely low, um, but it, we don't know if you know the front office was de- requesting that he start Fujinami. I, I just the pitching staff is just not a good pitching staff. Yeah. A lot of those guys are not MLB capable players, and I think that's where their problems are. I don't know. I don't know what he could possibly do differently. I think he will be on the hot seat as they move to Vegas, presumably you know, this, this next season, um, just given that they'll probably try to find somebody new. I don't think that's Mark Kotze's fault though, man. I don't know what else he could do differently here. This is a horrible situation to be trying to manage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's like you said, it's a bad situation for him. I mean, he was a well-known bench coach there in the circles of Oakland and kind of just got the promotion when Bob Melvin was, you know, left to go to San Diego. But, um, it's been a real bad situation that Kotze's had to to deal with. So I either hope they get better or he gets another chance somewhere else to, to prove that he could potentially be a, a good manager. But uh, let's jump over to the national league side now and in the uh, NL East and start with Buck Showalter and the New York Mets. It's his second year. There uh, is one thirty two and 96 in his time in New York. The 101 and 61 record last year got them into the playoffs, uh, but this year they've started 31 and 35. Uh, there seems to be some dysfunction there, uh, especially if they're you know fourth in that division behind a Phillies team who's really really struggled this year with a bunch of injuries. Um, you know, what, you guys think that Steve Cohen will tell Buck Showalter to get out? I do not think that Steve Cohen is going to tell him to get out. I think that, and Steve Cohen said this week, I think on. Um, in some interview, I heard that he was not going to move on from Buck Showalter. He supported him right now. So, and I mean, the thing is that I 
do think that Buck Showalter is should be on the hot seat because I think that there's two, you know the, there's been this wave recently of these veteran managers, these old timers that have been around a long time, and there's two different types I think you see. I think you see the type of you know the Brian Snicker and Dusty Baker that's a likable guy that you know the players really want to play for, and they they seem you know it's kind of a you know almost like the players are pulling for him so hard that they you know it helps them. And then there's the kind that's kind of the old school disciplinarian style manager, like you know that wants to show a lot of um, I guess uh, you know have a discipline you know, accountability on a team and stuff like, and you know, you saw that with Tony LaRussa and to a lesser extent, Buck Showalter, he's not Tony LaRussa. Don't get me wrong. But, um, I think that if you, you know, I, they choked last year. I mean, I know they won 101 games, but all they had to do is win one game out of three in Atlanta with their three best pitchers going and they couldn't win any of them. And, you know, they choked in the playoffs against the Padres with a 101 win team. They didn't win a game or they won. They, they lost to a, they did win one game, but they lost it in the wild card round. And then this year, I mean, I think it's a flawed roster. I, I think that they are putting way too much on old players. I mean, you've got 38-year-old, 39-year-old Scherzer and 40-year-old Verlander, and they've both been pretty rough this year so far. And that's like $80 million of your payroll. And then you've got, you know, some other guys who are veterans like Carrasco that you're relying on. Like, I, I don't think that's all on Buck Showalter, but I think in some ways there's – uh, you know, I, I just I, I, it feels like that team just has a lot of dysfunction. You know, it, and there's a lack of focus at times with them. And I don't know. I, it seems like Buck Showalter's probably needs to be moved on from. But uh, you know, Steve Cohen definitely doesn't sound like he's ready to do that yet. I after another blown five run lead tonight, maybe. But um, you know, depending on how that game finishes out, they were up five to or they were up five to one, and now it's six to six. So uh, that might you know. The more that the more of those that add up, the more Steve Cohen might snap. But I don't really think that that's going to happen right now. Yeah the the issue for Buck Showalter is that it's Buck Showalter, right? This is the same manager that a few years ago left Zach Britton in the bullpen to throw Ubaldo yeah. Jimenez in a winner take all wild card game when Zach Britton was the best pitcher on the planet. Um, you know, I don't trust Buck Showalter to make those good decisions based on you know that and he he's changed since then but this is not the type of manager i think that can lead a flawed team right he won't make this team better he can make a good he can keep a good team good but he won't make a bad team better and the mets are showing their true colors right now as they play below 500 ball uh with buck show walter you know in terms of the hot seat, it depends on what Steve Cohen's feelings are. And, you know, he's the one pulling these strings. So it feels to me like he'll move on quickly and, and put Buck on the hot seat and, and put some ramp the pressure up on him to get more out of the players. And that could kind of just snowball. But, you know, I don't think any of us really know what Cohen's going to do. And it felt like he was hiring a buddy when he hired Buck, as opposed to hiring maybe the best manager for this team that could have gotten a little more out of it. So, you know, I think this is going as expected, and at least as I expected, right? I mean, someone who we weren't really high on the Mets going into this season, we, we figured they would maybe make the wild card game, but, you know, just based on the talent, that, that talent is underperformed, right? So, yeah. I, yeah. 
Yep. One more point, and I like the point that you made, David, about Buckshow Walter about the um, him not maybe not being the best candidate, but Steve Cohen kind of hiring him, you know, because he's a friend or whatever. And I like that point because remember in the off season when they were making these signings, I said Steve Cohen's running this like a he, he like a fan, which he is. Mm-hmm. He runs it like a fan, and it's real similar to you know back when you know the White Sox hired Larusa, and they said. Man, we made a huge mistake 30 years ago by firing him. We've got to right this wrong. Like, I think that's a little different, but I think Buck Showalter, you know, he's from New York and he's been in New York for so long. He said, Oh, man, I love what Buck Showalter did when he was the Yankees manager in the 90s. I thought that, that was such a great thing that he came in and brought accountability and made him better. I think he can do I think that's the, that's the kind of guy I won't lead my team. And it just doesn't work the same now. I think that's kind of what you see from. You know, for, I think that's what kind of happened with Cohen and bringing in Buck Showalter. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think he could. I, I think he maybe at the end of the season could be on the hot seat if they don't turn it around. But you know, and it might be more of Buck Showalter decides to retire or something too. But um, he's been on TV. He was on TV for a while there. So, um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if maybe even Billy Epler's the fall guy before. Yeah. Buck Showalter is, um, even though Cohen is the one that really runs the team, but uh, could just be a fall guy right there. And, and Buck's probably going to be in his ear more than Bill, uh, than, than Epler is. So uh, let's go ahead and move over to the uh, National League Central. And uh, we have David Ross in the Cubs. He's in his fourth year, uh, has a record of 207 and 242. Uh, the last three years, 71 and 91. 74 and 88 and then off to a 28 and 37 start this year uh obviously disappointing uh you know thought that they could probably be a 500 team this year haven't had the best talent around him but uh david i'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this one i do um not surprising no one but here's here's the thing about managers and and i think maybe we could have led in with this is that Managers do not inherently have a ton of value to the team. They're worth a couple of wins here and there, right? Um, so I don't believe that any of these managers are necessarily making the team worse, but the manager is the head guy that's going to get that fall for when the team disappoints. And when, you know, the team is going well, they're going to get the kudos like, ah, yes, the manager was the key to the success, right? You know, that, that, that I think a lot more is made of them than they really have an impact on. But that being said, you know, they are the leaders of the team. They're the ones who are going to take the most heat, especially when it comes to the media. And I feel that David Ross takes zero heat from the Chicago Cubs media, man. It is crazy. I, I genuinely have not like Aaron Boone compared to David Ross. Aaron Boone is a god compared to David Ross in terms of just roster management with a, a very flawed roster. And he gets more out of them than than they necessarily ever even appreciate over in New York. And they still hate him. And and David Ross does not get that kind of heat for deploying Miles Masturboni as the DH tonight, for example. And it's just, you know, look it's not David Ross's fault that master Moni's on the team, but David Ross is the one like leading him off. Right. And, and doing all these other quirky Joe Maddeny type of things that do not work and are just completely hindering the Cubs capabilities of winning baseball games at this point. It's really mind blowing. All that to say, he's not on the hot seat, right? He's, he's a Jed Hoyer. Yes, man. He's going to start the guys that Jed Hoyer puts on the team. 
Uh, I don't know that there was a whole lot he could have done with the bullpen this year. I mean, Keegan Thompson was an absolute disaster. The young guys they brought up have been horrible, right? And the two veteran guys they brought in were horrible. You know, he's had three good relievers. Not all the, those guys aren't always available. Like I just, I understand that much, but my goodness, the lineup construction is just horrendous. And in terms of a guy who just doesn't take any heat, if he got Aaron Boone level heat, I think he would have already been pressured out at in Chicago, but they seem afraid to give him the heat. I don't know why I, I think he needs to be on the hot seat, but he isn't. Yeah. And I can't speak to whether or not he is or isn't on the hot seat because I don't keep up with the Cubs like you do, David. So you would, you would know that more than me, but you know, I think he probably should be. I mean, there's been a lot of times he's made some weird in-game decisions. And, and like you said, I think the Joe Madden point is kind of a, a good point. You know, David Ross played for Joe Madden for a long time and that's kind of where he got his, he came up and it just seems like he does similar things where he tries to be creative for no reason sometimes and, you know, outthinks himself and, you know, I think that that's been a problem for them. And, um, I mean, I, I don't think the Cubs roster is very good. I, I think that, you know, I think that a lot of the blame there, I, I don't, I don't understand. I never understood why they hired Jed Hoyer to start with. And I don't really think that that's gone very well. It, it seems not. like they're kind of, it seems like they're kind of, uh, uh, it seems like they're not really moving in any direction. And, you know, it's, this team is this and David Ross. I mean, it, you know, I, like you said, I, you know, a lot of these managers, like, I don't, I don't really think David Ross has made that much of a difference here, but he hasn't helped. And, I, you know, I think in some ways he's probably hurt their team more than some of these other managers we were talking about have hurt their teams, you know, just with different things. And I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's tough, but you know, I like David Ross. He's an Auburn, Auburn legend, but I, you yeah. know, I think, uh, it's probably time to, you know, to move on there. Here's and, and my final point here is that, like we said, right, the manager can he can take a, a bad he, they can't necessarily take a bad team and make it good. But David Ross has taken a average team and that needed to win on the margins and needed to make good decisions and needed to have those those breaks go right. The things that Scott Service has shown to be very good at in getting out of the Mariners. And he is. Yeah taken them the other way and made a what it should be around a 500 team that could perform better into a team that's well below 500 that's performing worse and yep. that's extremely annoying and should be criticized absolutely so then let's jump over to the st louis cardinals and Oli marmol he's in his second year there uh he had a 120 and 109 overall record 96 and 69 last year uh, 27 and 40 to start the year this year. Uh, only one win better than the Washington Nationals so far. Um, there's been a lot of turmoil uh, with the Cardinals going into this year, and some of the the tactics that Ali Marmol has used in punishing players, i.e., like Ty- uh, Tyler O'Neill, um, and some of the in-game management decisions have kind of been questioned a lot this year as well. So, um, you know, what do you guys think about Ali Marmol? If he should be on the hot seat or not? I mean, I think that he is on the hot seat. I think he should be on the hot seat, and I don't think it's going to last very long. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the thing is that, like we've talked about a bunch of times, this roster is just so flawed on the pitching side. Like they just, 
they did a horrible job in the, you know of constructing this pitching staff on both on both the bullpen and in the rotation. The bullpen's had a little bit of bad luck too, but like the rotation's just horrible, and we knew it was coming coming into the season. So, but the thing about Ole Marmol is he has not done himself any favors with the way he's you know related with the players. They seem dysfunctional. You know, the way that he handled the Contreras situation, the way that he handled the Tyler O'Neill situation at the start of the season. Like, there's just been so many times Ole Marmol's kind of stuck his foot in his mouth, and he said a lot of things in the offseason, too. Uh, and he just, I, you know, I think it's just kind of been a disaster hire for them. And I think that he's going to get scapegoated, I think, from, from a lot of people's perspective, because I think most – Mosielak. I don't know how to say the GM's name, but Mosaic? he should be fired. Mosaic, yeah, yeah. Mosaic, yeah. He should be fired too because he obviously thought that this pitching rotation, based on very strong comments he made, he thought the pitching staff was going to be good this year or fine, good enough. And I just, I, I think they all need to be gone. And they fired a guy who, who you know, the team just loved and. You know, had one gone to the playoffs the year before last. You know, won 91 games with with Mike Schilt, and then they fired him to hire Ole Marmol, and then this has happened. I mean, that's I, I definitely think that uh this this is not going very well. So, um, you know, he's a young manager. Maybe they think he's gonna learn and get and grow and get better. But I, I, you know, I think this is one of those situations where like. One of the primary jobs of the manager that we don't talk about too much is just making sure the clubhouse is in order and, you know, playing with and has a good attitude and is playing loose and stuff. And that's the opposite of what the Cardinals look like this year. So I definitely think that he's been a problem part of their – I mean, he's not been the problem there. The You know, the roster construction has been a problem there, but, like, he he hasn't helped. So I I do believe that he's just a filler until – or at least he was hired at this point to be a filler until they could hire Yadier Molina as the manager. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and with, with the loss of Molina, right. The pitching staff's taken a big step back. I, you know, if ever there was a way for me to, to shift on my stance on Molina to the hall of fame being a dumb, um, and that's outright of hatred, uh, <laughs> that it's this, right? It's the way this has gone. As soon as he retired, the pitching staff felt a, you know, shambles. The catcher they brought in to replace him has been horrible. And the manager has essentially ostracized himself trying to maintain order in the clubhouse, which by all accounts we have was something that Yadier Molina kind of took care of for, for everybody. So, um, you know, weirdly, this is kind of a, a annoyingly praising of Yadier Molina, but like, he kept that clubhouse in order. He kept them going and, you know, going insane and, and, and working right and in the right direction. And Ali Marmol has been just all kinds of all over the place this season with the, the Contreras, you know, not catching the, no, he's catching again. And then the, the O'Neill benching, I mean, all that stuff was just craziness and they're performing just horribly. And uh, yeah, I, I think he'll be gone within maybe even within the month, at least before the deadline. And, they, they should probably do something sooner or later because they're quickly approaching out of the race for the NL Central, which is hard for, to do given that it's yeah. not a particularly competitive division. Yeah, I don't know if I see them firing him before the year's over with. The Cardinals are usually aren't one to do that type of stuff. But, I mean, if this situation keeps up, it could definitely be 
one of those rare situations for a team like that that we see move on quickly. But uh, let's jump over to the American League West and have Bob Melvin with the Padres. It's his second year uh, with them, has a 120 and 107 record, 89 and 73 last year. Uh, had them beating the Dodgers in the playoffs going to the NLCS, but they're off to a 31 and 34 start this year. Um, and not that he's on the hot seat right now, but I feel like it could be a fascinating topic if this continues to the end of the season that if he would potentially be on the hot seat yeah with Bob Melvin I do not think he should be on the hot seat because I think that the problem with the Padres is that they also have and I know it's going to sound like blasphemy but they kind of have a flawed roster too in the fact that they're putting all their eggs in having a few superstars in their lineup whether they got four guys who are on enormous contracts or, you know, MVP caliber, what we have thought of as MVP caliber players that, and I don't think it's Bob Melvin's fault that Manny Machado has underperformed and been injured part of the year. And, you know, I think that in some ways, like there's just, he doesn't have a lot of options of things he can do with their depth. I mean, their depth is just not good. Like, you know, they're platooning Carpenter and Cruz. Like that's a that's that's a that's a GM front office problem, not a Bob Melvin problem. He's probably handled that about as well as he could, you know. Like, I mean, you look at like their outfield situation, you know, they've had Roofnet Odor was playing right field for a while for them before Tatis came back. I mean, I don't know, like I'd really think and their pitching staff too. I mean that you know, they've had some injuries, but like they've got a pitching staff that it's a bunch of inconsistent guys. I mean, it just for their career, like Blake Snell is just an inconsistent pitcher. And, you know, that, and then they've got like Waka and, and Martinez and Lugo as rotation options. And I mean, Waka has been pretty good this year, but like, you know, it's, it, and the other guys, even, you know, like Darvish isn't getting any younger. I mean, he's been pretty good, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't really think Bob Melvin is the problem there at all. I think he's probably getting, I mean, last year, 89 wins was really nice for them uh, and going to the NLCS. And, I, you know, I think that maybe just because of the expectations, they might look at that at the end of the season. But I think that a lot of that problem is A.J. Preller and the decisions that he's made. The Padres are an interesting situation because Bob Melvin left uh, what was growing into a bad situation in Oakland, but he was kind of the first domino to fall with regards to Oakland's sell-off by leaving for the Padres situation. You know, he's, he's made, he's made it very clear that this is where, that's where he wants to kind of end his career. I don't think that he's by any means going to take any blame for the start, but you know, as we've discussed, the manager can, can make the team worse, but they can't make a bad team good. And I, at this point, I foresee that I, I kind of see that Bob Melvin is steadying the waters for a team that is performing poorly. I think he'll get them back. I think they'll be all right, as we've said. But this Padres team just has too much talent to not, you know, make some moves at the deadline and see where they're at uh, later on to finally make a run. I think they will. Bob Melvin's going to be a part of that run. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking he's not on the hot seat here. I think he's going to be. Uh, okay, I think he's got some a long leash with this Padres front office, and I think this is not a lot of this stuff is not his fault, right? I mean, we've we discussed at length the problems with the Padres roster. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's his fault. Um, 
I could just, I know that what's Peter Sadler or whatever. Right? If they finish like fourth in this division, he, he's going to have some big time heads roll in there. And so I, I don't think Melvin should be on the hot seat, but you know, who knows if, if yeah. it keeps up like this at the end of the year with all the money that is put into the team. But uh, the last team that we want to talk about is Colorado Rockies with Bud Black. Um, I can't believe it's already his seventh season in Colorado, which is wild to think about. Like I think three years ago he was in uh, San Diego, but uh, over his time there, he has a 445 and 493 record. Uh, the last three years, 74 and 87, 68 and 94, uh, then 28 and 40 start this year. Uh, we've gone on and on and on on this podcast about the Rockies and their dumb decision makings and the not trading players when they should and trading Nolan Arenado for Austin Gomber and just a bunch of decisions they've made and, and the lack of talent that they've had and bad signings. But, um, you know, do you think at the end of the day, Bud Black is going to finally take the fall for what's been poor construction of a roster? Uh, I honestly, the per- prediction wise, predicting anything the pod, the Rockies do <laughs> is just completely useless because I, I just have no idea what they're going to do. Whatever they do, it'll probably be the wrong decision. I'll predict that. But I mean, I, I don't think I'd fire him. I mean, he, he's honestly done a pretty good job there. Like he's been giving, been given just abysmal rosters for years. And I mean, he just made the playoffs a couple times. Like he's, you know, just, he just, they don't give him anything to work with. So do they scapegoat him for not giving him anything to work with? I mean, I I don't know, maybe, but I, I, I feel like Bud Black's done a pretty good job with given what he's been, what he's had and that team seems to always kind of end up I know last year was pretty rough but they seem to always end up while they probably should lose like 105 games they end up losing like 85 games is what it seems like every year so I mean they seem to be a lot better than their roster and part of that's also just the Coors Field effect playing half their games in Coors Field where they just have an enormous advantage and then half their games outside of Coors Field where they have an enormous disadvantage like you know I but I I don't know I I just I see them as a, I mean, I, I don't think Bud Black's the problem. So, yeah, Bud Black's not the problem. I, I I don't foresee them, you know, finally kind of firing him, given that exactly what you said. This team pretty consistently winds up with uh, more wins than they should, and the bullpen usage is almost always pretty strong. The Rockies always have one or two relievers where you're just like, whoa, where they where they come from, right? So, um. I feel like they get more out of their team than is necessarily there when it comes to talent. Uh, and that the GM and the ownership are generally the issues in the, within Colorado. So um, I think Bud Black's probably safe unless he finally leaves Colorado, but it seems like he likes it there, you know, and um, the expectations are low, right? The, the owner said they want, they might be able to play 500, right? So, uh, they're not expecting too much, and so I, you know, with them not doing that, I don't know that that's a surprise to anybody. And therefore, you know, he's a he's very much a you know not on the hot seat. Yeah. One one note: the best player on the Rockies this year has been Ryan McMahon, and he's striking out thirty one percent of the time and has a league average WRC plus or slightly above at one oh seven. So everybody on the Rockies is going to have a lower WRC plus because of course. Yeah, but he's it's also park he's got a 
he's barely got an 800 OPS at Coors. So it's not like he's been some kind of crazy good hitter. And, you know, it's that's the best player on their team so far. Like, other than, I guess, Nolan Jones, who's played, what, 16 games, has had a hot start. But we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about him a little bit later. But, like, that, this team, and they're got, they got a better record than the St. Louis Cardinals right now with with that roster. So I think that kind of tells you what you need to know about Ole Mormal and Bud Black. Yeah. Uh, so that was our, our look at uh, possible hot seat managers, um, you know, going into the season where we're going to start hearing some more rumblings about them. So uh, if anything happens, we'll obviously bring that to you. But uh, let's go ahead and jump over to players of the week and wrap the show up. So, uh, David, who do you got for your player this week? Yeah, I'm grabbing uh, Big Maple, James Paxton. Uh, had two really good starts this week, and uh, it's He's on the Red Sox now, in case you were unaware. Um, I'm sure that it's good to see James Paxton pitching well at this point, right? You know, this is a guy who's kind of injury riddled for the last several seasons, was not able to get going, but he is currently throwing as hard as he's thrown in his career. This week, he had two starts. Boston won one of the games he started, and he, he ends up with a 1.38 ERA, 1.35 FIP just 13 really strong innings and it's like a it's good to see James Paxton work you know going well again. We mentioned Boston might sell at the deadline and if they do it'll it'll be small pieces. James Paxton pitching well to me is a is a sign for Boston to maybe move him because you, the injury risk is so great but you know the value in in James Paxton for even half a season if you can get this version that could be huge. So this week great starts from James Paxton. And shout out for Kyle Hendricks having the uh, longest no-hit bid in Major League Baseball thus far. Uh, Got to shout out my guy there, the professor. He was really good, but obviously with no strikeouts. I'm going to go James Paxton for Player of the Week this week. But yeah, that's it. Uh, what about you, Matt? Who's your Player of the Week? So uh, my Player of the Week this week is Jace Peterson. Um, Got to give them a little bit of love to him. Uh, the Oakland A's had a obviously had a really good week for once and Jace Peterson this week hit 556 with a 619 on base and a 944 slugging hit a couple home runs stole a couple bases uh had a really really great week um you know he he's a guy that last year was pretty good put up 2.1 war last year with Milwaukee and so far this year he's been kind of on a similar pace for Oakland so this might be a guy you could see at the deadline, it, you know, get moved. Um, definitely kind of an interesting piece. Left-handed back can play a lot of positions. So um, it's been nice to see him have a good week. He's a former Brave. Uh, I, I really liked him when he was a Brave player. He always had a good walk rate. And he got on base a good bit, which is nice. And, um, you know, back during the rebuild years. But I, I like Jake Peterson. He had a good, great week. 556 average this week. That, that's really really solid so 619 on base and uh we'll um you know uh, hopefully you can keep it going and maybe get shipped to a contender at some point yeah so for my guy this week i was gonna go with nolan jones um you know he had three homers and uh had a big like the the one after it was a rain delay uh, that they waited forever, it came back, and I think it was like the it's first like, or second pitch after it hit a walk off. It's like 470 um, feet. I know it's yeah, worse, it but still, it was it was some big time nuke. Um, he's been playing well, but uh, I ended up right before the show started. I ended up switching to Gunnar Henderson because um, I also want to talk about what he did tonight. But 
Uh, the past week, he, you know, has batted 526, uh, an OPS, or sorry, slugging of over 1,000, a 346 WRC+, uh, you know, 0.6 war. He's really started to find his stride at the plate after starting off the season really, really cold. Uh, and then today hit a, a grand slam, and he was in the second inning. Um, so the top prospect in baseball coming into the year has started to really figure it out. And, you know, if it, that Baltimore team was already kind of, hold and serve, you know, five games back in that division. Uh, if you get a guy like Gunnar Henderson with the talent he has to start figuring it out to play along with Adley Rutschman and, and the rest of the guys starting to figure it out there in general, um, could be a really scary team and a team that we can watch as the, to go down and maybe they make some moves at the deadline and be a contender for a wild card or something. But um, just really happy to see Gunnar finally, you know, getting that next step that he, he showed flashes of last year, was really cold to start the year. Uh, and really starting to find it and had a really good week this week. So Gunnar Henderson was my pick. Big shout out this week to Corbin Carroll to one full yeah. win above replacement, 520 batting average, 586 on base, 344 weight, weighted runs created plus, and a three homers, three stolen bases, man. He, he's taken over the lead in wins above replacement right now. I Just the, the maybe the whole podcast's player of the week might be Corbin Carroll. He, yeah. that, that was an yeah. incredible week. It's well, no, no, none of us picked Corbin Carroll after that week. Shohei hit five homers this week, and we yeah. didn't talk about that. Jose Ramirez had a three homer game. We also didn't mm-hmm. talk about Yeah. Like, and and JT Real Muto hit a cycle, right? Yeah. yeah so, oh, yeah. I didn't even put that on the thing. Yeah. Oh, I've totally yeah. forgot to put it, it was on their there. first See? cycle for the Phillies since 2004, which is kind of hard to believe. Yeah. It was like the 17th. Uh, cycle by a catcher ever yeah or something like that as well so i totally forgot to mention that i don't know why i didn't have it on there but yeah he hit for the cycle last night even though they lost so they couldn't beat the damn diamondbacks which i need that too because uh the nos is starting to not look great uh but you know anything else that you guys want to wrap up on except the jt real method stuff yeah i got one Oh Aaron boy. Hicks has left New York and has rediscovered how to hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, he hit a home, another home run tonight. Uh, that makes new? for three this season in total. Uh, and his total season stats are now above average. He's been so good with Baltimore. It took his miserable Yankee stats to above average on the season. Uh, he desperately wanted to get out of New York. It is very clear. And he is blossoming with the Orioles. Good for Aaron Hicks, man. He has been injury riddled and really poor and really downtrodden over the past three or four seasons. So uh, good to see him get out and, and start to flourish. Yeah. yeah. So far with his 10 games, he has a 197 WRC plus <laughs> and he has half of his war in 10 games that he had in 130 games at the Yankees last year. Yeah. And, and any homer tonight on top of yeah. that. I, I think that's yeah. before tonight. Yeah. Yeah. The, to add on to your point, the getting out of New York can help a lot of players. I mean, that place. I was listening. I was making. I was kind of laughing at the Mets last week. Listening to some of their uh, just media people up there, just kind of because it was fun. But I mean, they are just brutal. So I think sometimes get guys getting out of New York. You saw with Sonny Gray. If, you, if y'all remember mm-hmm. when he got traded for the, he was yeah. awful for the Yankees, and then he immediately becomes like really, really, really probably the best he's ever been with the Reds the next year. So. Um, I think that uh, that Aaron Hicks definitely got a boost there. Speaking of the Yankees, um, the Yankees and the Mets are playing, and and you know, kind of going on that point of these guys who struggle in New York. Like Max Scherzer got torched again tonight, six earned runs. So, 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, we were talking earlier about, about the, uh, Buck Showalter thing. And I mean, it's just that kind of throws in there and then they blew a, they blew another four run lead in that game so far too. They're down seven to six in the seventh inning. So and that's the Yankees without Aaron judge who I don't know if we ever talked about him being out for a month either, but, um, that's not good. So I don't think we did, but worth noting, uh, when, when is the, the not Yankees boost come in for Jamison Tayon? Cause he's been awful. <laughs> so yeah. Wondering, well, waiting for it. Where is it? Well, it affects. Well, I mean, it affects some guys in some ways, and other guys in other ways. So, yeah. Uh, it's just worth noting that David is playing our buddy Adam in fantasy this week. That is why Max Scherzer got torched. Yep, he um, only gets torched when I'm playing an important week and not one that I'm expected to win. Yep, pretty much. Amazing so. how that works. <laughs> ridiculous Fun times, but. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to episode 130 of the Batflip podcast and we'll catch you guys back next week.